Welcome back once again to Startups for the Rest of Us. This week's episode was quite a challenge, I have to admit. The show must go on, but Mike Tabor and I attempted to record a live episode on MicroConf on Air's live stream, and we got through it, but the number of technical challenges that were involved was ridiculous. And at failure after failure, and I'm very thankful to editor Josh that he was able to clean the episode up, that it actually sounds mostly seamless, although there's differing audio quality at different times just due to streaming and buffering because we were not recording in Squadcast as we normally do. So obviously this episode will, will feel a little different. It is live and sometimes I think I believe my AirPods connected and then disconnected. So I was on a di- you know my non-podcast recording mic on and on and on. I hope you enjoy this episode today where Mike and I run through our 2021 predictions. Mike. Uh-oh. What? <laughs> In the original draft of Star Wars A New Hope, what was Luke Skywalker's last name? Starkiller. Oh, nailed it. In this episode of Startups for the Rest of Us, Mike and I talk about our predictions for 2021. This is Startups for the Rest of Us, episode 528. Welcome to Startups for the Rest of Us, the podcast that helps developers, designers, and entrepreneurs be awesome at building, launching, and growing startups. Whether you've built your fifth startup or you're thinking about your first. I'm Rob. And I'm Mike. And we're here to share our experiences to help you avoid the mistakes we've made. What is the word this week, sir? Well, I have uh, some big news uh, to share. I am officially moving to Canada. Are you really? No. April Fool's Day. Oh, I mean, oh I figured, I mean, it's actually like March 3,790th, but April 1st has got to be right around the corner. So I figured I'd spring one on you. Oh my gosh. I thought you were serious. I was like, well, congratulations, sir. All right. So what's really going on though? What's really the word this week? Not much. Just trying to wrap up the end of the year and uh, get things all straightened out for next year. Mostly a lot of paperwork at this point and getting things together to have ready to send off for tax season and I don't know, just wrapping up last minute implementations and sales and stuff like that. Are you going to get a retax refund or are you going to pay? Oh, I have no idea. I don't usually find out until like, I don't know, March, April timeframe, something like that. I have no idea. (laughs) Cool, man. Well, let's dive in to reviewing our predictions that we made in December of 2018 for 2019. So we never did make 2020 predictions, but these are basically for two years ago. So you want to run through, You had we each had four predictions and you can run through yours and give yourself a rating of one to five on accuracy, five being the most accurate, and then I'll do the same. Sure. The first one was uh, that uh, a global downturn would be in full swing. And I was off by one year on this. I really feel like I was. So I don't feel like I should get credit for it. But at the same time, it was only off by a year. And it, it does feel like 2020 is kind of a, a global downturn. So I'd probably only give myself maybe two and a half on this one. I'd probably lean towards a lower score, like maybe one and a half or two instead, just because I was off by the year. But it's not to say it didn't come true. The second one was esports leagues getting a TV channel aside from Twitch. And I think you told me that apparently that already existed. So five, I guess. You predicted something that had already happened. <laughs> I, yes. It's like a reverse Nostradamus. My third prediction was something bad would happen with Tesla, SpaceX, or Elon Musk. 
And I have to say, in retrospect, looking back at that, there were some tweets. He, his, his behavior had gotten more and more outrageous. And then he was essentially forced to step down as the chairman of the board, I believe, by the SEC. And they fined him like $20 million or something like that. But that happened in September of 2018. And we recorded this in December. It was This was months later. I think you were predicting something even more. Oh, I don't think that I don't think that that actually happened until the following until the spring, though. It was like February of 2019. Okay. And well. Elon Musk stepped down as CEO. He steps down as chairman, and this is September 19th, 2018, and ytimes.com. Oh, okay. All right. So three well, months prior. Was... So I think you were predicting something more would happen. Right. I kind yeah. of vaguely recall. And I thought there was some other stuff that came out afterwards, like in the in the spring of the following year, where they came out and fined him and did a bunch of other stuff. But I could be wrong on that. So I don't we'll say think two. nothing. I don't, I, yeah, I don't remember him getting fined after that. And I'm trying to think even aren't there the stock prices are all up. Yeah, I don't know, man. I would think this is a, a miss as well. I just don't know well, of anything that happened. The article I was looking at said that um, he had tweeted something out that showed it was a picture and it said 4,000 Tesla cars loading for uh, SF in Europe. And he tweeted that on February 19th, 2019. And then after that, like his general counsel resigned and then all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there was a bunch of stuff that happened afterwards. I, I give myself a three on that one. And then the last one was Amazon will overtake Apple in terms of market cap. And I think I was pretty far off on that one. So that would be a, a one, maybe a zero. I mean, it was within the realm of possibility, but it certainly, I don't think that it happened. All right. So let's see if we can get through my four predictions here that I made again back in December of 2018 for 2019. So the first was that cryptocurrencies would have ups and downs, but there would be no major boom in 2019, but that I was still bullish long term. And I actually, I mean, and now we're having a big boom in 2020. So I would give myself like a four on that. That there because there was no boom in 2019 and there is a boom right now. I mean, the, the bullish long term thing it remains to be seen, but I'd give myself a three or a four. Um, I predicted 2019 would be the year of AR of augmented reality, and I would give myself a one or a zero, whatever the lowest score is on that because I don't feel like I remember being like, no, AR is going to take off and there'll be a headset and you know, we'll, we'll be doing it. And like every prediction with technology, it's probably what am I probably five years early? There would be a Facebook antitrust suit brought against them, an antitrust suit brought against Facebook. I literally predicted that for, for 2019. And there would be the rise of a new social network as a result because they would either get broken up or get kind of, uh, you know, handicapped by it. So that's one where, I mean, for 2019, I get a, the, a zero, but for 2020, <laughs> that just happened two weeks ago for those watching in the future, literally Facebook antitrust suit. So it's funny how the timing works out. And then I made a bold prediction that Twitter would be acquired, which mm-hmm. did not happen. So that is an absolute fail. So you and I have never really had good track records with these. I mean, I think predictions like kind of tough, especially the bolder, like you want to make them bold so that they're fun to talk about. And the bolder they are, the less likely they are to happen in the next 12 months. Right. You know, I think a lot of our predictions, I bet if we went back, a lot of them happened eventually. Sure. Well, I mean, I I don't think people are going to be predicting things that are just never, just not even within the realm of possibility, but eventually at some point, sure, they could all happen. Cool. So with that, sir, let's dive in. Let's see. We each have five predictions for 2021. And uh, why don't you kick us off with yours? So my first prediction is sort of based on loosely on current events. But uh, I believe that commercial office space real estate 
will never recover. And I think that that's going to be a function of these large businesses that have sent everybody home for long stretches of time, whether, you know, initially they thought it was only going to be a couple of weeks and then they realized it was several months and now it's stretched out in some cases to six months, a year or two years at this point. And they've realized that they actually don't need those big office spaces. So they have these big buildings and places, whether they've either purchased it or rented it and they, they, come to find out and realize like, hey, we can actually make this work and we don't need these spaces. We can have all of our workers at home and we can cut a lot of expenses by doing so. And in some cases, they're cutting millions of dollars by being able to do that and they're making it work. So I think that knowing that they're able to survive without this office environment is going to like encourage them to continue down that path and they're just not going to come back. There are certainly some who are going to, but for the most part, that stuff's gone away. There's still going to be a lot of services, you know, real estate for like salons and, you know, phone repair and retail and things like that. Uh, but the actual office space stuff, I think that's gone and I don't think it'll ever come back. Bold prediction, sir. What's funny is as you talk and you say these companies have realized they don't need the office space, they can be remote. Does it feel to you like they're finally catching up to what we, the bootstrap, the Microsoft community has been doing for a decade because we didn't have the money and to hire talent, you know, you couldn't hire ta afford to hire talent in a major city. So we always hired remote and it's like, oh, you're getting here too now. I feel like it's kind of harkening back to my consulting days where I would go into a company and they'd say, oh, this can't be done or we can't do it this way. And I'd ask the questions, why not? But because I'm an outside person, in some cases, they would just obliterated as no, that's completely a non-starter, even though I've made it work at other companies. And then there's other cases where they're like, oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't we think of it? And it's just like, it wasn't that you didn't think of it or nobody talked to you about it. You just didn't believe it until you actually saw it. So I think that's more of it than anything else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that. My first prediction is that privacy concerns will continue to transform email marketing back to what it used to be, which was basically spray and pray. And obviously over the past 15, 20 years, I mean, if you think way back to early days, constant contact around 2000, you kind of got some open rates and some click through rates, but a lot of people didn't pay attention to them. And you just had this list that you sent broadcast to, and you didn't do any type of tagging or behavioral based email. You didn't write anything specific for different segments. And then over the next 10, 12 years, that became a thing. Marketing automation and the tagging and everything became a thing as Infusionsoft, Marketo Pardot, you know, Drip, and then MailChimp added them and Aweber added, added that type of stuff. But the privacy concerns with uh, tracking pixels in essence inside emails is becoming more and more of, a, of an issue. And you know, this year with Hey.com, with uh, the Basecamp guys putting out hay and saying, we're going to block all tracking pixels. And I believe they're like going to shame people in the app, right? Who, who send tracking pixels. Like there's kind of becoming this backlash about it. And so while certainly I don't think every email client will do that instantly, much like not provided started happening in Google and much like SSL everywhere became a thing. I do think there's a movement towards essentially blocking a lot of the, the good metrics that an email service provider can get from email broadcasts or an email automation. And once you lose a lot of that stuff, you start to lose the really the helpfulness of the tagging. And, and it's not you can't have any automations, but it's going to kind of set email marketing back, you know, five or 10 years. 
My second prediction is related to government regulations on big tech. And there's actually a couple of different things that kind of fall under this umbrella for my prediction. So I kind of, this is almost like a two-parter. And the first one is going to be, there's going to be a over attempt by a government. And I'm going to, you know, kind of lump couple of them together, like the United States, either the United States federal government, the European Union, or even maybe even a, I doubt a state government would have uh, the ability to do this, but they're going to attempt to break up at least one of the big tech companies. And my money on that would be on Facebook. But I think that Amazon, Apple and Google are kind of all there in the crosshairs. But I think that Facebook is probably the one that it would end up being targeted if any of them were. And then my second prediction under regulations is that governments are going to actively crack down on the gig economy. And essentially, people who are doing side jobs or they're stringing together multiple side jobs in order to either make a living or make extra money on the side, those type of people, I think the governments are going to look at those and say, well, not only are they very high at risk for getting COVID or, or other things, I think the the problem that the government's going to look at and see is that those people don't have any health care or health insurance or have low access to it, and they're not treated well, they're not paid well, and therefore need to be protected. So I think that the governments are going to crack down on those things and put legislation and regulations in place and not just talk about it. They've talked about it before. They've tried to do things in, you know, like the California state government has tried to do things, but no one's ever really made a concerted effort. And I think that this year is going to be the year that they do that. I mean, that's kind of already happening, right? There's, I guess there's a lawsuit against Facebook and Google uh, lawsuits from 40 something states and the federal government. And are you just, are you kind of piggybacking on that and saying the result of that lawsuit will be that they try to break one of these up? There's Yeah. So there's a difference between suing them and then trying to get them to change their practices. I think they're going to go that extra step and they're going to say, no, what you've proposed is not acceptable. We want to break you up. Similar to what they did back with Microsoft and then Microsoft did all these different things. And so that never actually came to happen. But I think that they're going to push for that hard enough that it's going to get to that point where that's on the table as a potential resolution. Whether it happens or not is a different story, but I think that it's going to get to that point where it is pushed and it is openly on the table and everyone's talking about it. I think it's on the table already. I think the prediction to be bold would be that it will happen, right? Mm. People are already mentioning it. I mean, the first news article I read was like, could they be broken up? You know, I mean, that's kind of the first thing that folks are saying. Sure. I would I would also say that um, Facebook and Google have a suit against them and Apple doesn't yet, right? But I believe they, you know, my, my opinion is I'm Google, sure Facebook and Apple are monopolies. Amazon is not a monopoly in anything. Like every big major thing they have, they have, maybe Kindle is the only one I can, th I can think of. Can you think of another thing they're monopoly in? Because they don't own enough of the e-commerce market to be a monopoly. I think that there are spaces of the e-commerce market where they are doing things that are mon monopolistic such that they own the platform and they're allowing people to sell like the fulfillment by Amazon. And then they're, mm -hmm. I believe that they're using some of that data to decide what products that they should offer as white label Amazon products. And they're using sales data that they shouldn't. And that kind of came out a little bit. That was at least alluded to in some of the congressional testimony this past year, but it was never concretely confirmed one way or the other. So I yeah, think there's, I, there's definitely arguments there. Yeah, I hear that. I think that the white label stuff you're mentioning is anti-competitive, but I don't believe it's monopolistic. And that's that gets into it being that maybe like, to do an antitrust suit and to try to break up a monopoly, you really need compelling evidence that they are a monopoly. Now, they could be sued, I believe, for anti-competitive practices with the white-level stuff, but it's just such a different game, you know? 
Because with Walmart and Target and Best Buy and all these other retailers, Amazon has like the majority of the market, but they don't have that 90 something percent penetration that Google does or Facebook does or, you know, whatever Apple has in the I think where it becomes anti, like a, the monopoly behavior is yeah, where they've got crazy. the, they have access to invisibility to sales data for their competitors directly in the platform that they're selling on. That's where it becomes abusive, a monopoly exactly. platform. It's anti-competitive, but it's, again, it's monopoly is a very specific definition. It's mm, where yeah. you own almost all the market and no one else can compete. And frankly, Walmart is competing, you know, that Shopify stores are competing against Amazon. But anti-competitive is, it's not right that what they're doing, but it's a different name. And I don't know that you sure. can bring an antitrust suit against them. Okay. So it's just interesting because I'm in the same boat where I think Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Google, these are all huge companies. They must be monopolies. But I only think three of them are. I don't think Amazon is. And I probably, knowing Bezos, that I mean, right. he's a pretty smart guy to, to have not done that, that they've gotten this big without being a monopoly in any space. They have Amazon, uh, you know, AWS and Google App Engine, like, and Azure are both like, good solid competitors of them you know right again kindle is the one i can think of where they just own the vast vast majority of that market but anyways yeah good prediction sir so my second prediction is that in 2021 in-person events will happen but adjustments will be put in place and so there will be whether it's social distancing early in the year or masks being worn you know just all the stuff that we've kind of seen around. And then as we get towards the end of the year, I think that, that less and less of that stuff will be needed. Cool. My third prediction is uh, related to healthcare. And I think there's going to be a major breakthrough in nanotechnology. So obviously there's been a lot of you know advances with the, uh, the COVID vaccine, but I think that this is going to get to the point where it could be something like an implanted chipset that is intended to go mainstream, whether I don't believe it would go mainstream next year, but I do think that somebody's going to come out with something where their the intention is to do that. It might also be something like that is much more, I'll say, specialized. Like it could be an artificial organ, like an artificial uh, one that has not been developed yet. So maybe pieces that would augment your liver, or maybe a replacement kidney, something along those lines. Could also just be something that's like a little bit more simplistic that is for either monitoring or diagnosing ongoing biofunctions. It could be used for surgery or for post-op care, something along those lines. So in those cases, it obviously wouldn't be mainstream so much as it would be for specifically hospitals or surgery centers where they can just put this in you and implant it and then use it to assist them with whatever it is that they're doing. And I think people will be terrified by this whole idea because they'll be like, oh my God, Bill Gates is trying to chip microchip us. Only some people will be terrified <laughs> by it. <laughs> and there'll be people who are totally willing to do it. You know, sure. I like that prediction. We, we got a prediction from the chat from Ken Wallace. He says, be bold, predict that 2021 is the year of universal basic income. UBI, Mike, I don't think it'll be a thing in the US. I can totally imagine some countries in Europe giving it a try this in 2021. Yeah, I definitely could as well. I don't think, I think it'll be a long time before something like that happens in the US, but Europe, I think, is definitely a lot more progressive from that standpoint, and I could see them doing it. Yeah, I'm not, and I'm not read up you know, enough on UBI to like have too much intelligent thought on it, but my third prediction is that funding in the startup space in general will, and especially, I guess, in the bootstrapper space, will continue its kind of destigmatization as more founder-friendly options continue to show up and continue to expand. It's interesting. I think it was back in 20, when was it that we, I predicted it? But it was something about that there would be more bootstrappers raising funding. This was like three years ago. 
And it was before I started Tiny Seed, I'm pretty sure. And I was just seeing like Indie.vc was around and then revenue-based financing started happening, you know, with the SaaS capitals and the wider capitals. And it just made sense that more people who maybe wouldn't have wanted to go venture track five years ago would potentially want to do the kind of the, I'll say the fund strapping route or just, you know, the raise one small round to go to profitability or do revenue-based financing or just do the non-venture track, really. Any of those options, there's all, it's not binary anymore, bootstrap versus venture. It's, I can bootstrap, I can do one round, I can take money from Tiny Seed, I can take money from Indy.vc, I can do revenue-based financing if I get to the point where that makes sense, or I can take venture. You know, it's like this whole buffet of options. And so what it feels to me, it hasn't happened with everyone, but there is a destigmatization of funding, whereas funding used to come with a lot of strings attached, loss of control, can't sell my company, I got kicked out as a CEO, I have to put up with these venture capitalists breathing down my neck and this board and blah, blah, blah. And it's like all those things, poof, <laughs> you know, if you want to take funding from certain people under certain circumstances, none of that exists anymore. And it, there are different constraints. But the optionality that founders have, especially bootstrap SaaS founders have these days are tremendous. So I think that that 2021 basically continues that destigmatization process. I would agree with that. It's a good prediction, I think. My fourth prediction has to do with movies. And uh, specifically, I think that the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe is going to, the following is going to somewhat fall off a cliff. It, I think it'll be subtle at first. And then people are just going to be like, yeah, I'm not into this. And I think the reason specifically for that is that they're getting into the territory of going in, and pulling out some of their, I'll say, second tier characters to draw them to the forefront, which I agree with that as a general strategy and thing that they should do because there's lots of characters that are probably less popular. But because they're less popular and people haven't heard of them, I think that there's going to be a lot less interest in those. So like Iron Man is an obvious draw, but you know, there's a lot of these other characters that they're pulling out, like Doctor Strange, where some people are like, I don't even really know who that is. I've never heard of that person before, even if they're like peripherally involved or knowledgeable of about comic books and things like that. I just think that a lot of those characters are not going to be nearly as big a draw. And it could result in them scaling back what they're going to be doing in the in the future. And um, I'm a little, I don't want to say concerned, but I, I do think that what they're going to find is that that following is it ramped up for the longest time until, you know, the last couple of Avengers movies. And then I think it's going to fall off a cliff and they're not going to quite know what to do with it. It's very similar to like they released the new Star Wars solo movie and then it didn't do as well as they had hoped it would or thought it would. And then they're going to they're going to pull back on the reins. That's a bold prediction. And I mean, I hope that doesn't happen because I, I hope it doesn't that. either. And yeah, but it is a prediction. See, that's the thing, though, man. Oh, yeah. So like one example is Moon Knight. Right. It's like anyone who didn't read comics is like Moon Knight. Who's that? But he's, you know, slated for, I don't know, a movie or a show or something coming up. And mm -hmm. when they did, I, I remember when they did Iron Man and Captain America. I mean, Iron Man always had a comic, but he was like a he really was not a prominent. I mean, he was fine, but he was not that prominent the way he is today, where it's like, no, Iron Man is like one of the leaders of the Avengers. And right. I mean, even Captain America, I remember I was like, this movie is going to be terrible. And then I saw it and I was like, I cannot believe how good that movie was. Like, I can't believe that they made such an amazing, compelling story from that character. So I hear you. I appreciate the boldness of your prediction. I hope it, uh, I hope it doesn't come true. And I do wonder if they'll, I know they're already doing several Marvel TV shows in essence, or, you know, streaming shows on, on Disney plus. And that's basically what Star Wars has gone through. You know, if you heard they did 10 Star Wars announcements a couple days ago, uh, or it was last week, I guess. And I believe seven or eight of them 
are essentially stream, you know, like eight episodes, seasons of streaming shows. And only two mm -hmm. of them are films, which is right. fascinating. I think it's fascinating, but it's also them hedging their bets in such a way where they're not betting everything on this massive movie offering and they're spending, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. And they may ultimately spend hundreds of millions of dollars on a particular storyline, but by doing it through their Disney Plus platform. And that's the thing is like they've got all these different channels and ways to distribute it where they can put it as a TV show. It's less effort, less money, less production costs, all these other things that go into it. And then they can essentially gauge the market, but also build interest in that storyline. And when it gets to a certain point and they can say, oh, well, this justifies having an actual movie. And now we've, we've amassed the interest as opposed to they come out with a new story or a new movie for this character nobody's ever heard of. And it's just like, it'll be like John Carter. They're like, oh, wait a second. What, who's John Carter? What are you talking about? And unless you've ever read those books, you would have no idea. And it's not an interesting story. Yep. I hear you there, sir. Speaking of that, we'll get back to startups in a second. Are you watching The Mandalorian? Yeah. Oh, uh, you like it? Yeah, it's good so far. I think it's really good. I'm stoked on it. All right. My next prediction, fourth prediction, is that VR will become mainstream. You just ripped that off from one of the listeners. <laughs> I got an Oculus Quest 2 about three weeks ago. And it is a consumer level. It's about a $300 headset. You don't need a computer to run it. So it just connects to your Wi-Fi and then you get on your, your mobile phone or your iPad. It is amazing. The kids love it. It was $300 and it's just, it like just works. You just plug it in and it works, you know? I mean, you don't even have to plug it in. It's completely wireless. And it's, it's such a leap and a bound from, oh, I need to go out and get a Windows PC with, you know, that's all beefy. And I mean, frankly, we bought one about a month ago and within two weeks, Sherry's like, oh, I think we should have two because you can do a bunch of cooperative games with them and stuff. And I can easily see us just picking one up every quarter next year because a lot of the co-op co games go up to four people. And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not saying Oculus, it's, I mean, it's the only one I've owned, right? So I'm not comparing it to other things. I'm just saying if they can build a headset this good for $300 and, and sell it for $300, where are we headed next? Where is the, the $199, the $99 headset? And, and, and the experience of it is amazing. Like it truly is game changing. If, certainly if you've never done VR, it's a trip. And even if you have done it, like to sit and be able to play it for 60, 90 minutes and go into VR worlds is, uh, it's like we've seen in the movies for 30 or 40 years, but I think 2021 is the year. Two related anecdotes. One's I remember seeing a VR headset from like 20 years ago. It had this like little hockey puck thing that you had to hold and you could move your head up and you could see everything. It was like this little LCD screens in front of you, but this was back. I mean, it was literally 1996, something like that. It was ridiculously early. So nearly, not nearly as good as what they have today. But the other somewhat related anecdote is when I was a kid, I had actually wanted to be a, a science fiction writer. And one of the ideas that I'd come up with for a storyline was in the future, there's a, there's a future where people are not fighting wars anymore. They're basically fighting with these virtual reality simulators where they're like almost in like this giant robot or something like that. And they're battling each other for control of different territories, but they are augmented in such a way that it becomes real. So when you shoot at somebody, it's not just a laser blast. Like there are physical sensors and stuff built into the suits and stuff that the people had to wear. And you could literally take physical damage from somebody shooting you inside of the, you know, quote unquote simulation. And then there's like backstories where like people do nefarious things and sabotage other people's suits and stuff like that. So I never really fully published anything or came out with it, but that was the idea I had. 
a long time ago. <laughs> I like that kind of stuff. All right. Oh, that was uh, VR Oculus. So we're on to your fifth and final prediction for 2021. Although before we do that, it looks like we had a little more in the chat. Ken Wallace said, my Mandalorian prediction, Grogu goes to the dark side. That's so Grogu is, oh, is this a spoiler? Grogu goes to the dark side, but comes back after destroying the dark saber. Xander's note, I still refuse to call him by his name, which is true. <laughs> and, uh, all right, we have a prediction from Sali Cagnasderia. He says, Next.js, GraphQL, and Tailwind CSS will become extremely popular. I think that's already happened, hasn't it? They all seem super popular to me. I keep hearing about them, but I guess it depends on what we mean by super popular. If they get websites, we know they're going to hold. Right. Cool. <laughs> dive into your uh, fifth and final? Yeah. So my fifth and final prediction here is that we will discover definitive proof of extraterrestrial life. I don't know what exact form that's going to take, whether it's going to be Mars or some comet or, you know, an asteroid going by. But that's the the prediction here. And I think that there's a lot of scientific discovery going on right now where people are trying to pull back that information from outer space. I think they've uh, even recently sent a rocket out to a, an asteroid that was going by planet Earth and brought some of the materials back. It took like a three or four years or something like that to get it. I don't know if they've analyzed it yet or not, um, but they do have other ongoing things going on. And I think we're going to get something. Now, does that mean that we're going to see like, you know, proof of little green men? No, that's not necessarily the case. It could very well just be like single-celled things. But the idea there is that it's not just particles from Earth that ended up in outer space because they were, you know, on a rocket or something like that or a spacecraft, and then we find them elsewhere. It's that, you know, they are actually extraterrestrial in origin. So off of anywhere, whether it's Mars or the moon, something like that. That is a bold prediction, sir. Mm-hmm. I like it's, it. I figured I did. I had to go with one that was like kind of off the wall. I felt like if you're going to do predictions, you may as well go all in at some point. That's you call it's Babe Ruth calling his shot, right? You're yep. trying to go. My fifth and final prediction is that in terms of, of the world and COVID, everyone's predicting, oh, it's like middle of the year and then not to the end of the year. And it, some I've heard people say like, it's gonna be five years, like till everyone feels back to normal or end of 2022 till things are back. And I think we're going to get back to normal a lot faster than we think, at least within our home countries. I know traveling internationally is going to be different because different countries are handling things. But as vaccines roll out, as we get herd immunity, I think the cases are going to drop faster. And I also think people's comfort level and a lot of people's desire just to not be cooped up and to go out and go to in-person events or go to movies or go to concerts, the desire to, to go to those things is there. And it's pent up, there's pent up demand now. And I think the moment, I know several people, the moment they get cleared when they have that second vaccination, like they want to go and do all the things. And I'm probably one of them. I'm not even, I'm not an extrovert. And yet I want to go work at coffee shops again. I mean, we, we went out to restaurants during the, you know, Minnesota opened up for a while and we're back closed again, but we were doing those things, but I still really miss just being able to, to get out. So I think, I think it's going to happen fast. I'm a uh, eternal optimist on this front, actually. I, th I think you're doing a lot of projection there because on the other side of the spectrum, I almost got a t-shirt that literally said, when this is over, I still don't want to see some of you. <laughs> yeah, I like that one. And I had so. the... 2020 zero out of 10 would not recommend uh shirt mm -hmm. with the zero start i've got the 2020 dark dumpster fire t-shirt yeah yeah a few of them so. well man so. those are predictions and we get to revisit those in just about a year kind and see exciting. if any of us gets above like three four yeah <laughs> yeah 
if we get more than one three, that's probably the goal for next time. The theme music that we couldn't play today, but was edited in in post is an excerpt from We're Out of Control by Moot, and that's used under Creative Commons. Obviously, you can search for startups in any podcatcher and subscribe to us. And always head to startupsfortherestofus.com for a full transcript of each episode after this is cleaned up. It's going to be nice, nice and tight. So thank you so much for listening. And Mike and I will see you next time. Take it easy.